0: Hey there, Shadows podcast listeners. This is Kirk Van Everen, co-founder of the Universal Learning Approach, and I have some exciting news for you. Today's episode of the Shadows podcast is supercharged by Sisu Stamina and the ULA Universe. If you've ever wished for laser-like focus, smooth, consistent energy, and zero crashes, Sisu Stamina is your answer. Crafted from six wholesome natural ingredients, it blends time-honored remedies with cutting-edge science. Ensuring that you are at your best, whether at work or play. At the heart of it all is the ULA's core mission to empower you to live a life of intention, discipline, and to foster powerful, tight knit communities. Our products aren't just commodities, they're a statement of our values resilience, freedom, and the undying pursuit of excellence. Now, I don't just advocate for Sisu stamina, I rely on it. The clarity, the focus, And that pure, sustained energy it grants is something to be experienced. So, if you are ready to elevate your day and live a maximized life, visit us at ulauniverse.com and unlock your potential today. And here's a little gift from the Shadows Podcast family. Use the code SHADOWS10 at checkout and get an instant 10% off on your order. Embrace the energy, harness the focus, and join us in building a brighter, stronger world.
1: You know, most people go through life aiming at nothing and hit it with amazing accuracy. And they find themselves just feeling stuck in a rut, wondering if this is all there is. And I'm here to tell you, no, it is not. And life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut. So check out beyondtherut.com and listen to episodes of other people who are also feeling stuck in a rut, asking themselves the same questions you are around their faith, their family, their fitness, their finances, and just their outlook on future possibility. And there, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired to make your own path and live life. Beyond the Rut. So again, go check out beyondtherut.com where you can find blog posts and podcast episodes as well as some tools to help you design the targets you wish to hit in life in those five F's. Faith, family, fitness, finances, and future possibility. Because again, life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut. Now go check it out.
2: Beyond the Rut. (laughs) That is done. It's yours.
1: Hey, this is Ice from American Gladiators and host of Chillin' with Ice, and you are listening to The Shadows Podcast.
3: All right, everybody, I want to welcome you back to another episode of The Shadows Podcast. I'm your host, Trip Odenheimer, and this is incredible for me. I'm here with my favorite gladiator. Electra was my favorite female. <laughs> Laser was hands down my favorite Gladiator. So I'm sitting oh, yeah. <laughs> here today with Jim Star, Laser from American Gladiators. Sir, welcome to the Shadows Podcast. Ah,
2: thank you, Trip. I really appreciate you inviting me, and uh, been looking forward to this. I know we we had it scheduled the other day, things didn't work out, but we're here today, and uh, well, let's get it started.
3: Yeah, let's let's get it going here. So first thing I want to do, I want to ask you just a couple of random questions before yeah. we get started. Dinner for three. Three historical figures who are no longer with us. Who would you break bread with?
2: Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, I would definitely have my dad back if I could. Uh, Yeah. Uh, He passed in 2009. Um, I was a, gee whiz, uh, a big fan of Walter Payton. Uh, Sweetness. Yeah. Sweetness. He was, uh, you know, I emulated Walter Payton when I was a little kid trying to be, be his moves, you know? Uh, boy, I don't know. Um, maybe John Wayne. Okay.
3: That's a, that's a solid three right there. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I want to jump straight into your, your journey here. So, uh, first of all, you were talking about the, the different aliases you go by I joke with people because I'm, I'm Edward on LinkedIn. I'm Tripp if you know me and then in the military I'm Bodie. Uh so, so yeah, it's, hey I can tell my friend level. Your name's are Mark,
2: You're 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 as confusing as I am. Nobody knows to call me Jim Star or my birth name which is Jim Califat. So how Star started, <laughs> Star started. I did a I was in uh I did some commercial work and acting prior to the Gladiators in 1989. So 86, 87, 88, 89, I was doing commercial work. And I did a, a a movie with Robert Conrad. It was a, a football movie. And all of the uh, guys that were on that movie started calling me Jimmy Star, you know, on the football field. And so that same week, I had to get Zed cards done because you had the little five by seven Zed cards that you'd bring in and drop off to the agent when you're... Yeah on your audition and I was getting those produced and I had called the photographer uh, and said, listen, let's instead of Caliphate, cause everyone was like, huh? How do you spell that? What, what's that? And where's that origin from uh, nationality? And so I just put Jim Starr on my Zed card and that carried through the gladiators. It carried through my professional career for 26 years. So more people knew me as Star." and they knew my real last name and i have to be like you i got to be like do i go by star califat I, I yeah i'm a little yeah. confused half the time so anyhow i i kind of hyphen it i go jim califat star jim star hyphen califat yeah <laughs> whatever
3: yeah, yeah. I, I say if if i hear edward i'm in trouble that's, <laughs> that's usually my mom or somebody
2: But there you so go.
3: you grew up in great falls montana what's childhood
2: like for you Oh, wow. And to, speaking of Great Falls, I'm here today um, visiting mom, uh, my sister, a bunch of buddies. So I'll be here most of the summer. But wow, Great Falls, Montana, you know, I still consider Montana my home. Um, it, it's a very special place to me and just a special place, period. It's God's country, big sky country. It is a uh, if anyone's watched Yellowstone. <laughs> I it's love a little like yellowstone it's uh yeah. the wild, wild west you do not f around with people in a bar you don't you don't bump somebody because it's gonna it's gonna be an automatic fight it, it's yeah. just you good people but you know they're they're 10 15 years behind most of the other 49 states in terms of uh socially kind of uh getting along uh it's it's a little bit like Yellowstone, not as bad, but yeah, you walk into a bar and you better not run into anybody because yeah. uh, that's an automatic uh, getting in your face. We're, we're going to, we're going to go to blows. So, but it's a, it's a heck of a, heck of a city and a state, um, just good people, um, good hardworking people. And uh, it's, it's, it's still still like considered my home. Did you always want to be an athlete growing up? I did boys. So I remember speaking of Walter Payton, uh, I, I remember third, fourth grade, just, I had this vision of always wanting to be a professional football player growing mm-hmm. up. And I, I, I remember the first time it, we were, we were in sixth grade, we were playing flag football. It was actually tackle football down here at the park. And I went up for a pass and this guy hit me with his, his head and knocked my tooth right through my lip. And I couldn't get my lip off my tooth. Uh. And I kept playing and I was bleeding. And I I, I was in fifth or sixth grade and I walked home from the park and my mom about fainted. And she said, Jim, what is wrong with you? You are bleeding like profusely. Like we need to get you to the hospital. Why didn't you come home? I said, because I was playing football. And I, I, think it, I think it all started then, you know, that toughness. And, you know, on the Gladiator documentary, um, you know, I talked about my dad being, you know, just that toughness. And he was a hell of an athlete. Uh, he went to Washington State on a boxing and football scholarship. And, you know, my dad never pushed me into sports, <laughs> nor did my mom. It, I think you you're kind of born with that element of just that, that oomph, that competitiveness. Yeah. You know, and I, yeah. I had it in an early age. I mean, and that's with everything in life, uh, work, <laughs> doing yard work. I yeah. just, I'm a perfectionist. I have to have it done right. If I don't, my granddad taught me a, a valuable lesson growing up. He said, listen, um, well, let me back up. I, I was, sweep in his garage floor and you know as a young kid you're going to cut corners and you oh, know yeah. you don't no, do okay. such a, you don't yeah. do such a great job he sat me down and he said he said look at the job you just did he said it took you about an hour to sweep my garage he said the unfortunate thing you didn't do the best job that you could possibly do now you got to go back and redo it which means you take twice as much of your own time that taught me a lesson at an early age that if you're going to go out and do something, do it right. The first time, put 110% effort into it, no matter what you're doing, husband, uh, a dad working in the backyard, uh, hunting fishing, whatever it is, just, just do your best because we don't have that much time to follow up doing everything else multiple times. So, yeah. So kind of, uh, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but, uh, yeah. So what did your mom do growing up? So mom was a, uh, well, she's tough. She was from, this is a great story. So she's from the upper middle class, uh, North Hollywood. My dad was born and raised in great falls, Montana.
3: Okay. Yeah.
2: Uh, my mom leaves North Hollywood, goes to Washington state and guess who she meets my dad, who's a rough and tough. And I'm telling you a tough son of a bitch. I mean, a f- fist fighting, And plus a boxer. It was a boxer uh,
3: scholarship, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. And they met and fell in love. And her parents were like, you are not marrying a Montana guy. My dad actually, unfortunately, his sophomore year got in a bar fight and about killed a guy and got kicked off the football and the boxing team, which back then, fights were prevalent, right? I mean, that just didn't happen. And so he lost his... He lost his scholarship and and so he went back to Montana. Lo and behold, my mom follows him to Montana. They open up a dude ranch and she's hauling water and cooking meals for for all the hunters and fishermen. And she did that for years. And then uh, uh, she went back and got her degree and a master's and became a school teacher. So she was a first grade school teacher for twenty five years, something like that. Wow. Yeah. So pretty cool.
3: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I teach right now. I've been teaching for the last seven oh, years and, yeah. and, I, and I had not grown up until maybe a couple of years ago when I realized what I wanted to do and teaching is that thing that I want to do after I hang up my military. Yeah. Uh, uniform. So much respect to her for, for doing that. For sure. Your, your father, you, you talked a lot about him on the Netflix documentary, which folks, if you've not watched it, I have been telling any and everybody that I bumped into, especially at work. I'm like, you have got to go watch, this next I think It's like a five part series.
2: Yeah. Five, five episodes. Yeah.
3: It's incredible because it's not just, you know, back in the day you'd watch the episode, turn it off, but you're getting to hear these stories much like you are here. And in there, you were very transparent and vulnerable about your relationship with your dad, which I lost my father at 11 years old. In fact, I
2: would
3: would watch gladiators with my dad, which is kind of cool to be talking to you today um, you were very open about your relationship uh, with your father and you mentioned he was hard on you, but what was that like disconnect as a kid to where you felt like you were constantly striving for his attention growing up? Yeah. Where do you think that stemmed from?
2: Yeah. Um, thanks for yeah. Makes me emotional. I don't know why, but so, um, you know, at an early age, I just, you know, my dad came from that era where men were men and just tough, right? And his dad never showed him love, never put his arm around him, never told him he loved him. It was, you you went to work at an early age and that was instilled into my dad from his dad. He didn't know how to show his emotions. Um, You know, and my dad had a, he was a contractor and he ran horses he he was into race horses and I, I don't know uh my dad never physically ever touched one of us our my siblings or myself he did kick me in the ass one time because I accidentally ran over our dog <laughs> and I was that's going to That's warranted.
3: that's warranted that's
2: warranted right <laughs> and he told me to slow down I did and I ran over our dog and the dog was fine but I he had this voice that was just menacing like deep and I would and he was a big guy, 6'2", 250 and I was just scared of him, right? I mean, I just literally fearful of my dad. Um and growing up it was that same way and I just wanted his attention. Like I wanted him to notice me. So I would do everything. I would clean his trucks at a young age. I'm talking I'm talking 10 years old. I, I'd go out and wash his trucks and, and put all his tools away. And 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 just, I you know, I just wanted him to pay attention to me. And he took me hunting all the time. But I, I was so fearful of him yelling, even when we were hunting, because I thought maybe I was so fearful of us getting stuck with the four-wheel drive because I didn't want him to fly off the handle. Here I'm a little boy just shaking, thinking, please... Please, please don't get stuck. Please don't get stuck because I didn't want him upset. So that just carried over from high school and college. And it hit me in college because all of my roommates, their dads would come up after the game, hug their son, say, God, good, good job, son. Way to go. My dad never did. He would come on the field, but he never hugged me, never told me I had an awesome game. And that just carried through and that anger that just spewed inside me. Just God, I just, I don't know, just really emotional shit, you know. Yeah. And uh we uh you know, I I I was 40 some years old before I finally on the gladiator documentary, they didn't really uh I, I talked about it, but the way this occurred is my my wife Tanya taught to me and she said, listen, you need to, I've, I found this men's weekend retreat. It wasn't religious. It was just men being men. right? And it was about how men uh, that are walking, most men that are walking around in today's society are hurting based on their fathers. They didn't get the love. They didn't get the tension, whatever that is. So I went to this men's weekend retreat. And the last night we were there the head guy said, "Listen, if you have a father that's still alive, lucky you. Because guess what? You get to call your dad, meet yep. that person in 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 their environment, and tell that tell your dad you're proud of him. Because they may not know. They're always wondering. We as fathers are always wondering, did I do a good job raising my kids? Yeah, that that right that that enters in your mind. So." After that men's weekend retreat, I went home to my wife. She said, you, you need to fly your dad out to California. Take him to the Santa Anita racetrack. Just have a day with him. He loves doing that. And then take him to dinner and just tell him you're proud of him. So I had a plan, flew my dad out. The whole day, I'm trying to not think about, I mean, I never talked to my dad. Like a couple words here and there. So after the races, I we get in the car and I said, Hey, let let's go to let's go to dinner and uh, uh, let's just have a drink or whatever. And he said, "No, let's go home. I'm tired." Well, before I would say, "Okay, Dad. Okay, I'm remember I'm 43 years old. Yeah, and I'm fr- I'm afraid of my dad, and I'm 240 pounds, former gladiator. And glad you know you don't ever challenge your dad. I don't care how yeah. tough you are. So he said, "Now let's just go home." I said, "No." and I had it in my mind. I said, no dad, come on, let's just go eat. He goes, ah, okay, let's just go eat. So we go, we go into, it was, uh, uh, this restaurant. We sat at the bar. He was, uh, he did not drink. So we still sat at the bar and it took everything I had just to put my arm around my dad. And I put my arm around him and he looked at me like, what are you doing? And I said, Hey dad, I, I just wanted to tell you, man, I, I am so darn proud of you for raising the way you raised me and my siblings. And I said this on the documentary without a moment's hesitation. He said, son, I've always been proud of you and I've always loved you. And let me tell you, it it was months in the making of me knowing not to show my emotion, not to cry, not to bring everything up because that's what the men's weekend retreat was about. It wasn't to shame your dad. It was just to let him know because they will know. And boy, I got to tell you that the weight that lifted off my shoulders, ooh, just man, I I can't even express the mountains of weight that was just lifted. I just felt like light as a feather. And we had the best relationship up until two up until he died. I think it we had a, a good seven years. But he became a better father to the rest of his kids. He became wow. a great grand grandpa. Uh, him and my wife are so close and it, it's, it's a blessing. And I I've told this story to a lot of guys and a lot of the guys were in my situation that ended up calling their dads and telling them that same story. And it changed their relationship from that point on. It's, it's wow. remarkable. It really is. Wow. How,
3: how was it getting to see him as a grandfather it, after that talk
2: so, so freaking cool man it just oh gosh makes you emotional because uh he didn't do it with us yeah right? myself my brother my two siblings uh he was a little bit more affectionate to to my sisters to his daughters but to see him engage and be actively being a granddad and kind of as a dad at the same time it just uh was just the best thing ever. Yeah. It was very cool.
3: And like you mentioned, that was a different time. Yeah. You know, our parents and grandparents were, were coming up and it was, it was a badge of honor. If you yeah. know, grandfather passed away and it's like, wow, he was a real man. He never shed yeah. a tear. And it's still, it's a stigma that's still today in 2023 is tough to break to where, you know, the the 9th of July was exactly 30 years that my father passed away and I'm sitting wow. on the couch with my family and all of a sudden it just hits me, and I start Did just it. tearing up. But I'm like, my daughter's here, my wife's here. Like, can't let it out. And yeah. Finally, my daughter
2: came over and gave me a hug, and I just and lost I, it. And I you lost it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you and, know what? You know what, Trip? There's nothing to me. I'm an emotional guy. I mean, I'm I'm yeah. heated. I'm tough. I, you know, I can scrap with the best of you. But boy, I got a heart. I mean, I, I I'm a very emotional guy, and there is not there is and anything wrong with showing your emotion in front of your kids in terms of yeah. crying, holding them. So, I mean, you become vulnerable and your kids yeah. know that they can come to you. It's, it's pretty darn special that a man can do that as a dad to their own kids. Yeah. It really is. Yeah What what did, what did that
3: teach you about forgiveness or like, what message did you have for our listeners about forgiveness out there?
2: It's uh, you, you, you have to, be mentally uh i i i think you just have to be prepared to to have forgiveness because you know i i'm one i'll hold a grudge if you do something to me or my family uh and i'm still that way today i i have a hard time letting go i it's heavy it's heavy but you have to in you you have to do a bunch of soul searching and it's got to come from your heart when when you when you forgive you truly have to forgive. There's not something I'm holding over you. uh, And there's conditions uh, to it. Um, So, you know, I'm still dealing with that. I'm still trying to be a better person in terms of forgiveness. But um, yeah, I mean, I I think that was my first time in my entire life that I forgave forgave another Mm. human being. And that was my dad, uh, because I held a lot of grudges, uh, a lot of things that I regretted um and I held that for so long. And once I made that decision to forgive, like I said, it was mountains on top of mountains that was lifted off my shoulder. So
3: yeah, such such a good feeling too to to be able to to say yeah. that and experience that. And you went on with Montana State, correct? You played football. Yeah, I did.
2: Yeah. yeah. I had quite a few different scholarship offers, but wanted to stay, and my recruiting trip to Montana State was a lot of fun, and they had a great coach by the sun, Sonny Lubick, and so I decided to stay in the state of Montana and, and play for uh, MSU. Yeah, and you you clearly excelled. I think you had a position
3: change. You went from,
2: what, tailback
3: to I did. To, to linebacker? Was that
2: correct? Yeah, I did, yeah. just uh, I was uh, 200 pounds when I graduated high school. I was the leading rusher in the state of Montana. So and you had a Walter Payton before. in you. Yeah, and they recruited me as a fullback, uh, full ride, and uh, I shared uh, that position as a true freshman uh, with a senior. Um, as a as a fullback, we s- shared the starting role, and then my sophomore year, um, I was a starting fullback, and then we had a new coach come in by the name of Doug Graber, and we were doing winter conditioning, and he pulled me aside and said, Jim, I know your goal is to play professional football. You really don't have the wheels. <laughs> you know, you're not running a four, four. He said, uh, he said, you got that mentality. I can just see it. Why don't we, you want to try linebacker inside linebacker? I said, yeah, let's give it a shot. So winter's done winter condition. We start spring ball and I just flourished. I mean, I just, wow, where have I been? You know? And I, I, it just, that was it. I mean, that was with all that, just that aggression and anger. And I want to just kick your ass type attitude man, I, I just took off and, uh, it, I broke all kinds of records. It's still, you know, big sky records and most tackles, tackles in the are, game, right? Yeah. Uh, I think 32 tackles in one game mm-hmm. and I had 202 tackles. My first year as a linebacker that still holds true today. And then my senior year, I missed three and a half games doing an ankle injury and I ended up at 178. I would have crushed the, the two Oh two record easily. I would have been 240, probably 240 tackles. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, I wish I would have played uh, that position when I was younger, uh, you know, growing up instead of tailback, but, you know, it is what it is. Jeez, 32, that, that, that's a high draft pick in today's yeah. Yeah.
3: NFL teams yeah. salivate over that. And Do you think, you mentioned some of that aggression, you think some of that aggression was from the relationship you had with your dad
2: at the time? Oh, you better believe it, yeah. Whether yeah. I knew it or not, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I'm holding it. Subconsciously. Subconsciously, absolutely. I, I wasn't out there going, I I hate my dad, I, I'm, right. I'm Aggressive because of my, you know it never never came to mind but I can tell you when I I wasn't playing football or thoughts would enter my mind you know you have that little voice that inner voice that you that's speaking to you all the time I was pissed I'm I'm mad you know and I, I was angry and so I think that anger just carried over to athletics mm-hmm. Um, and also my personal life you know I've been in a lot of fist fights and. You know thank God I've never really injured anybody or you know gotten thrown in jail a couple of times but it it never you know embarked on my career where um you know something you know magnificently happened on the bad side of it so I'm very fortunate of that but yeah um yeah that anger you know I'm still trying to tame that beast today i'm I'm you know wow. I got that I, I don't I, when I'm mad. Shit, I'm mad like it's it gets out of Just control. Leave you alone
3: for 20 minutes.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. But
3: anyhow. yeah, I heard I'm not going to spoil it for people. Check out the Netflix documentary. We yeah. talk about the bloody knuckles. Yeah. Uh, but so you you had a cup of coffee. What in the USFL with I believe it was the um,
2: San Antonio gunslingers. Yeah. San Antonio so gunslingers. I was, I was drafted by I was I thought my agent, who was Ken Stanager out of Montana, he represented a lot of uh, big time athletes. We really thought I was going to get drafted in the NFL, but unfortunately, we had a terrible senior year. We went one in 10. I missed those three and a half games. So I wasn't getting a lot of scouts coming to look at, look at us. And unfortunately, I didn't get drafted, but the USFL, the United States Football League, came out the same year that I was drafted in '84. And they drafted two inside linebackers, and I was one of them. Uh, and unfortunately, us uh, San Antonio never called me for two weeks after I was drafted. They're supposed to call you, like, right Be Nice, then.
3: a little welcome, yeah.
2: Yeah, a little welcome. <laughs> two weeks, and my agent finally gets the call, and the contract was okay. I mean, back then, it was, like, I think two hundred fifty. Unless you were Herschel
3: and... Walker, yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and my agent just said, nah, I just – I don't think you should – I think you should wait and you know for the nfl and unfortunately i didn't get drafted by the nfl I, and doug graber who placed me at linebacker had left montana state after one year and went to kansas city so he was in touch with my agent because they they wanted to draft me and unfortunately they didn't in the late round you know i would have been a late round draft pick anyhow but uh yeah the three the three 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 and a half games that i missed and us not doing well it really hurt my my chances and you know, and then I went on to the NFL and and played a few games with the Chiefs and then got hurt, went back to Montana. I had two quarters left of school, went back to Montana State, finished up one quarter. And then I signed with uh, um, uh, Toronto Argonauts up at the CFL. And I played up there for about a year and a half. And then uh, they, silly rules up there, they can only have so many Americans on the team if they're injured and they were shuffling people in and out. I It wasn't my idea of playing professional football. So I went back to Montana, went back to MSU, and I had that last quarter left. And I graduated, uh, which I can't believe I did. I mean, none of my friends were there. I went by myself and lived in some basement. I don't even remember what happened, but I finished my degree. And uh, that's when I got into bodybuilding because football, just nobody would sign me. It was tough. You know, back then you just, you didn't have social media. It was all yeah. about getting on a call and calling someone. And so then I got into bodybuilding and, and did the Mr. Montana and, and uh, took a couple competitions here and kind of got depressed with life about, you know, cause I still wanted to play football. And yeah. uh, the way I ended up to California from here was my granddad ran the recreation department in, in Los Angeles and knew a gentleman by the name of Luke, uh, Luke, uh Dwellen, who ran the downtown athletic club and i called him and told him i was looking for a job and they flew me out hired me and i drove my little mazda b2000 pickup truck from great falls montana to pasadena and i lived there for about a year and then the rams went through that strike season yeah. and uh they called me to they called my agent and i immediately signed i quit my job and signed with them and then the first game i got hurt so didn't oh, a kick off kick return right Oh, it was just, yeah, it was a hellacious hit. It was just, a yeah, they, the, the trainers, it was like a, um, an injury that you'd have in a car crash. Mm-hmm. It was just so devastating. It was just a perfect hit. It was, you know, running down a kickoff, a guy just happened to blindside me and everything just kind of smashed up this way. And I crushed my larynx, punctured a lung, fractured my scapula, broke my shoulder and uh silly me i played the whole game with all that stuff and and bleeding internally and they rushed me to the hospital and it took me three years to heal up from that injury and and that was the end of my career yeah
3: how was it for you because i know you you talk a lot about mental toughness talk about mental toughness you've been striving for this dream to play professional football and then boom it was like from that it was like kind of bouncing around where were you at at that point after you were done with the Rams before gladiators?
2: Yeah, not, not good. I'll be honest with you. It's uh mm-hmm. anytime you're a professional athlete and that dreams taken away um, some dark times, boy. you talk about uh, some, some bad thoughts, suicidal thoughts, depression, mm-hmm. the good thing. I, I think if I wouldn't have met Dan Clark, Nitro, he also played with the Rams. We became really good friends and roommates I think if it wasn't for Dan, even though at the time I didn't know it. Yeah. You know, we were, we were young. I was injured, you know, three years to heal up from that injury, but we were still working out. We were partying like rock stars and going out. And I I think if I didn't have Dan in my life, things would have turned out differently, probably in a bad way. But I think just, you know, growing up having another roommate who worked out like-minded type two individuals and, uh, I I I just think it uh, it, it definitely helped uh, to pull me out of the, the those dark times. But it it wasn't it wasn't easy. But you know that mental toughness where you just keep forging ahead because that's all you know, right? I mean, yeah. as an athlete, I knew how to train, what to do every day, and that's taken away. It's like, what do I do now? Do I am I I'm still going to the gym, but why am I doing six hours of extra cardio work and plyometrics and and uh, all this other stuff that's involved in in being the best athlete you can so yeah it was pretty tough it was a tough deal yeah
3: how important like you said to have that that friend right there that does he even know that he pulled you out of that without even really trying just by being there for you
2: i don't think so you know we we yeah. never really talked about it um i talked about it on the documentary uh when they interviewed me but they didn't air that part of it um but yeah dan and i spilled speak today we're good friends but yeah i've never discussed that with him and i don't think he knows but uh that's a good point i might have to share that one day with him and uh yeah mm. it was a pretty special time yeah
3: how in the world did y'all get involved in american cuz you are on more episodes correct me if i'm wrong your longest running gladiator yeah. more episodes than any other most injuries too most injuries uh, but yeah yeah, you you were kind of the poster boy for gladiators because I remember you on the that was the Nintendo game. There was trading oh, cards. There was everything. I mean action figures. Yeah. So for- how in the world did you get into American Gladiators?
2: So, here's what happened: is Dan Nitro, we both had the same commercial agent. We were both competing, going out on commercial auditions, and and uh, Dan got a call from our agent to go try out for this new show called American Gladiators. Well, for whatever reason, and my recollection of what happened is different than Dan's, but my recollection was he the agent told Dan to tell me because we were both roommates and we had the same agent. Dan yeah. never told me, but his recollection wasn't that at all. Anyhow, he goes and Dan tries out the Gladiators and gets casted as Nitro. Well, I'm kind of upset thinking – I played pro ball. I mean, we're roommates. How come I didn't do this audition? But so long story short, Dan gets casted. There's 26 shows in one season or one one uh, season. So after 13 episodes, obviously they had Malibu as one of the originals and whether, uh, I don't know how Malibu what he says, but, you know, good athlete, but he wasn't just the most mentally tough. He couldn't take a lot of hits i mean there's some guys that just are we not played really- racquetball yeah he's a racquetball player i mean he's yeah. not a physical i'm I'm in your face tackling you guy mm-hmm. and so they had to they they stopped production and uh, some other things happened but they had another tryout and i tried out um and at the time i was trying to get into modeling i was down to 205 pounds i i was on a wow ate about a thousand calorie diet to lose all this muscle mass because I was already at five to 6% body fat at 230. So I was just losing muscle and I was doing four hours of cardio a day to get down to about 205. And when I tried out for the Gladiators, I was 205 pounds going against guys that were 260, 280. And I was kicking their ass at 205 Mm -hmm. and tried out. I had a three-day tryout and they casted me as one of the gladiators and i came up with my own name um and that's how it started and so i was one of the originals considered one of the originals as part of season one but the second half of season one which is the next 13 episodes so that's how that worked and i was on the show for the next seven seasons uh and did more shows than anybody and had uh like you said i had more injuries than anyone as well but uh you know, as part of being, being an athlete too. So.
3: I always find it interesting with characters like, you know, laser and nitro and Malibu is probably the most, he, he mentioned it. He was probably the most over the top with his character, but you see it a lot with like pro wrestlers where they have these, you know, you're, you're Jim star, but you're laser.
2: And, yeah. um, you know,
3: did you have a tough time differentiating between the two or I think you said it was what season three, where you were you allowed to kind of just be yourself?
2: Yeah, to be honest, that's true. You know, in the beginning, like Malibu and all, they kind of gave them personas to really ham it up in front of the camera. It it's a character. Gave, yeah, like a character. Mm-hmm. Well, finally, you know, when I got on, it was like, you know, I'm not much of a, like, a, I don't have a lot of charisma, I think, when it comes in front of a camera and trying to come up with stuff just arbitrary wrestling
3: promo. Yeah,
2: like, I just want to kick your ass and move on. And, yeah. and the first year or two, they kind of were, was having us try to ham it up and finally season three i remember we were in the locker room they said oh, for this season just be who you are you know come across the camera when we interview you after an event or whatever just be you just just say whatever it's on your mind and i gotta tell you that 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 was just a it was just a blessing because yeah. that was right up my alley now i could just be who instead of trying to be a an actor, even though it was full go, one hundred ten percent, you saw what you saw. There was, you know, it wasn't fake. It was real competition. Yeah. The the uh interviews were kind of hamming up, but after season three, what you saw is is the real person behind behind you know behind that camera. So it was pretty cool. Yeah,
3: a couple of questions that uh, you know I've asked about the the TV tapings and stuff, but how are you? when you found out about like the royalties that kids were playing with the action figures and playing Nintendo games and you weren't getting much of any of that yeah
2: we I don't know I just it you know there there's when you put your body and mind and soul on the line you expect to get something in return right and I think it that's life right and that's that's your action figure that's me on the american gladiator vitamin line on tea chains and halloween costumes and macaroni and cheese boxes and and you're not getting like even a cent from it you kind of like yeah, that's kind of cool but yeah whatever you know yeah i i, I yeah. am thrilled that you know the action figures i think they only made zap gemini laser
3: nitro had one
2: i think nitro maybe ice yep. but those four and it's it's pretty cool because there's still you can still find them on eBay and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh I think it's cool, but it sure would have been a lot differently if we would have had some merchandising rights against all that all the different pieces uh within the merchandise itself.
3: It's it's crazy to me because I mean if you even if you look at a model like WWE where they own the rights to like The Rock. But yeah. Dwayne Johnson still gets butts from t-shirt sales and action yes. figure sales and video games. So it's just that I thought with all the documentaries, I was like, wow, that's the craziest part to me was that the royalty piece and yeah. like someone like nitro who is just out there. I mean, I'm sure there was magazine covers and all this other stuff and
2: for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, but you know, I don't know. It, it, it's one of those things where again, I always say it is what it is and there's not much you can do to yeah. change it. Right. It, you know, and you, you learn a valuable lesson because, If the show would have happened today and came around today, it would be a different situation for those gladiators, different contracts, different merchandising rights, you know, and uh, everybody wins. It's a win-win for everybody.
3: 100%. Yeah. What about steroid use? I've always been real curious about steroid use. So uh, several gladiators real open about the use of steroids. Very interesting to listen to the documentary, how kind of got around that at times. Yeah. i've been curious you know i was talking to my wife about this topic did you see any like side effects like later in life
2: got uh, me no Uh personally no um the you know was was steroids prevalent absolutely you, you you i think we as a society and people that are even watching your podcast you know this was uh the 80s and 90s where they were rampant the i mean it wasn't like there was a you know, a, a conglomerate of, uh, of how can I say this? Um, you know, when you're you're an athlete, and if you knew of steroids, you probably were doing them, right? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. Uh, I remember in college. I mean, I I started uh, about my junior year in college, uh, just one cycle. I mean, my gosh, I incredible. Um, and I never abused it, but. Almost everyone was using it. It wasn't uh, uh, um, an omen. It wasn't like, "Oh gosh, you're doing it." It was yeah. like, "Oh, what are you doing?" Like, you know, th- there, there, there's one thing that I do want to reclaim that uh, the gentleman that, and I, I think it's Aton Keller that said he walked into the Gladiator locker room and there was syringes everywhere, all over um, the floor. Yeah, that is, I, I sent him a LinkedIn message. I am so upset with that gentleman because that never occurred. Nobody sits around and and it, it's not like someone's in a in a bathroom doing cocaine and everyone's doing yeah. a line. I mean, that that was as far-fetched a lie. And why at his caliber caliber of a professional, why he would lie about something like that that was so adamantly untrue, it upsets me beyond. I mean, I'm so upset with that guy for for lying about that. That that's not that 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 never happened. There was nobody was shooting up steroids in any one locker room. If you did it, you're doing it in your own privacy. Maybe your buddy who's giving you an injection in your buttocks, maybe, but you you, you know, you don't talk about it outside of your close-knit circle of friends. So yeah, I mean it was prevalent. Did, did I do it? Yeah. Um the, the one thing I can say that. That, And I don't know if the word is proud, but I was happy with the way I went about it because I never abused anabolic mm. steroids like some of my buddies did. I mean, they went down some bad paths. I mean, yeah. they couldn't get off. It really messed uh, with them uh, psychologically. I, I, I did two cycles a year, and that was it. And they were six-week cycles. That was it. Six weeks, take five months off, do another cycle. And I did that for quite a few years. Um, and, and that was it, you know, um, the one thing that most people don't realize you don't take an anabolic steroid and, and all of a sudden now you're, you're ripped and massive and you put on 20 pounds of muscle, you, yeah. you have to train your ass off. You got to have good genetics. You better know your nutrition inside. And out. that's 80% of the game. You better take care of yourself, uh, on the sleeping side of it, on your, on your, on Getting enough rest, dietary supplements. It, it's not a it's not a magic pill or a, or an, in, an injectable where you now take take an anabolic steroid and hypertrophy and fat loss is eminent and uh, it doesn't happen that way. And that's the misnomer that many people think because you're on steroids now you're a better athlete. You're already the athlete. You may be stronger. Uh, you may be able to train longer and recover quicker, but it doesn't make you a better athlete and it doesn't make you gain 20 pounds of lean muscle tissue overnight. You better train your fanny off and better know what you're doing. So, you know, that that's important for the audience to know is it's not a magic pill. That's for sure. Yeah,
3: that's good to know. I appreciate you opening up about that. A couple of last questions here about, uh, about the gladiators. When was your time where you were like, you know what, with these injuries mounting up, this is the one injury I think that it's it's probably time to hang up the boots.
2: Yeah, and that's exactly what happens, Rep, is we were doing the dinner theater show in K- Kissimmee, Florida, kind of yeah. goofy. People are eating pork chops. For we're alien up, dinner. Just goofy stuff. Yeah. I mean, they, they had the same contenders, same gladiators. I was like, really? I mean, I got to go up against the same guy. I get to know you. You think I'm really going to? try to take your head off. No. So I I tell you, so I was with the show for two months. We, all of us guys were living in an apartment and I went out with Reggie Bigler who became tank on the live tour show. Great guy, great athlete, one of my best friends today. And we went out partying one night. And, and so he gets to the place where we're going to be. And he's in the parking lot and it's two stories And he gets there earlier and I park on the second story of this parking structure and I hear him yelling my name and he's down on the first story on the first level. And I'm on the second level and there's, and there's just a little opening and he goes, get your ass down here. So I jumped and I had cowboy boots on and I jumped from the second story to the, to the first story. So I didn't have to walk all the way around and I caught the, edge of my boot on the parking uh those those concrete pillar yep, yep. parking structure and it caught my boot and i blew my ankle out i'm telling you so bad that was it i and you I, got a boot on and i had a cowboy boot on and i'm telling you that ankle ice every ligament tendon you know i went back nah. to california and i find and i did Trip, that i finally said to myself that was it i i was so done getting injured and recovery and surgeries and I just I finally just had enough and that was it and I never returned that was i sad about it but boy I just I couldn't do it any longer I was just I was done being hurt you know
3: your body was but, telling you we're done at this point
2: I done yeah my body is telling I was done and mentally I was yeah. done I I could I could tell then, you know, when athletes finally retire and you're like, How can you do your, your career? Well, you you just know. And I knew. I mean, the injury and mentally my mind was finally there where I was just done. Just yeah, it's, done. it's
3: it's better than when they're trying to hang on, though. And it's like, yeah, you're yeah. screaming at them right? to quit. Yeah. You're like, come on, you can't right. even Yeah. Well, for our listeners out there, uh, tell them how cool it was to do the Netflix documentary and then Tell them if they haven't heard about it. Why they should go check that out?
2: Yeah, for sure. It had a blast doing it. They they rented an old abandoned warehouse in downtown LA. We had different shoot dates, all of the gladiators that came in. Uh, the production team, Tony, the director, is awesome. Just we had an after party. I mean, it was just a Netflix did it right. Um, mm-hmm. and people that haven't seen the the five. Uh, episode series uh, called "Muscles and Mayhem: The Undocumented uh, American Gladiators uh, Story." It 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 really gives the audience how the show started, where it came from, the the games, how dangerous it was, uh, off scene camera shots, a lot of those things I've never seen before until I saw the documentary myself. It it and it gives the audience who. Either watch the show, or the new generation that's never seen the show, but their mothers and fathers did, or aunts or uncles, and they're turning them on to it. When you watch the show, it it, it gives um, gives the audience uh, how we weren't well taken care of financially. Talks about the injuries. Uh, talks about our personal stories, our life. Uh, you know, with uh, Dan Clark, Nitro and his dad and mom and his losing his brother at a young age. and Yeah, yeah, very sad. And then uh, Debbie uh, Clark, who storm who became homeless, my wife Mm -hmm. and I helped her out, got her off the streets. You know, it just it really goes into some heartfelt uh, stories uh, about our times on the gladiators. And uh, it's, uh, it was, it's still ranked in the top 10. Uh, We were number one rated netflix uh show uh, for over two weeks and that's worldwide so that says a lot that says a lot and we're really proud of it and i think netflix and tony the director did uh, phenomenal phenomenal uh there probably could have been a couple more episodes they could have added but they felt like five was the perfect number and i think they did it right
3: yeah it's very well put together i i definitely me as a fan i love seeing it as one of in my opinion the first reality series uh, that was out sure. there before Survivor, or Amazing Race, or any of these other yeah. ones. It was very good job. Definitely take some time. We we binge watched it, and I the so I like the Thirty for Thirty, and I like the Netflix. I like both of them just because they were gladiator stories. But I did like how Netflix, I felt like, didn't just focus on the story of the creators, wow. and the, it was the actual gladiators were more of the focus, and for that's sure. that's what I really liked about the Netflix piece, and. Uh, last thing here, before we wrap this episode, tell our listeners about all the current stuff that you're doing now.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, well, for the last 26 years, I was in product development for nutritional products, dietary supplements for the health club market. Only I was, uh, the head of, uh, I was the VP of product development for 24 hour fitness for almost 11 years. And I went to lifetime, uh, fitness, um, with that big health club for five years. Started my own company called Sports Nutrition Consulting Group as a consultant for dietary supplements. I can I can put a product together. I know uh, the CFR rules, the FDA. I can, you know, I got formulators that will help me. Dr. Tim Ziegenfuss, a big nice good friend of mine, who's nationally recognized as one of the best formulators when it comes to nutritional products. And and then I was with a couple other larger companies, um, and then just recently, just kind of you know trying to find my way, uh, trying to find the next opportunity. I was with a startup company out of Golden, Colorado, and they just couldn't raise Series A funding, so they had to realign their company, and unfortunately, I was one of the realignments that got booted. Uh, that was this year, and that, that's kind of tough because my wife and I moved to Denver for that job, so I'm looking for my next opportunity, but I I recently, uh, kind of the last couple of years, uh it's called laser in the house, where I, you know, I come to your home. I, I actually did this with a buddy of mine in Montana. I lived with him for two and a half months, taught him how to eat, showed him how wow. to cook food, showed him the lifestyle, how to lose weight. His cholesterol was two seventy; he was in poor shape. I got him down to uh, about two hundred five, um, and so it's called laser in the house. And what people do, they they I either come live with you full time. Or I go into your guest house or someone that has an Airbnb and they put me up yeah. and I'm at their beck and call 24-7. I teach them the lifestyle of how to eat, how to oh, wow. how to live an optimal life, um health um lifespan and health span. And and uh I, I did that for a couple of years and I'm kind of getting back into that. So yeah, if anyone's interested and uh it's not cheap, but uh I'm I'm there 24-7 for you. Um and, uh, if anyone's interested, they can always reach out to me and uh, you can find me on social media. So pretty cool.
3: How cool is that? As opposed yeah. to
2: getting down at planet fitness to yeah. <laughs> show, show you some
3: stuff. That's, that's yeah. super cool concept. Yeah. And yeah.
2: Well, a lot, of, a lot of people think it happens in the gym, right? Oh, I'm going to go train at the gym. Yeah. Nothing happens in the gym. You don't grow. And they're the mad. They're not losing weight. You don't lose fat in the gym. It It's the other 23 hours outside the gym that if you don't know what you're doing those 23 hours and it doesn't take a lot of work, it just takes someone to guide you in the right direction. And, and that's it. And so those 23 hours is where I, I hone in on the client and, and I change their lifestyle and, and reverse mitigate and uh, actually sustained uh, a lot of their chronic uh, illnesses. And it, it's pretty cool because my background's in nutrition and and uh, I, I was a personal trainer there for many years. And yeah. uh I think i know what i'm talking about and uh um yeah so uh anyone interested they can definitely reach out to me
3: yeah have you thought about doing like an app like being able to have people sign up virtually and you do yeah you know with them?
2: i i haven't thought of that but that's a great idea you know I'll, I'll i'll have to think about that yeah
3: yeah check in every couple hours and right meal yep. times and stuff that's wow. sure it's a good idea um yeah. i like i like laser in the house so just laser in the house, your- literally <laughs> Last question for you. Yeah, when all is said and done, fifty years from now, grandchildren's grandchildren, all of them are talking about you. Your name's definitely out there with the documentary and everything. What do you want people to say about you?
2: I just want people to say I was a good guy. Yeah, yeah, just a just a good guy. That uh, at the end of the day, I gave it my all. I was just a just a good guy, you know. Uh, because that's important to me. Is in, with work, colleagues, my friends. You, you just want to be a good good person. You know, put a smile on your face. Don't be a jerk. Yeah, I just want to be known as uh, when they think about me. Just I was just a good guy, and uh, hopefully a good provider for my family. Yeah, don't make that's me cry. Like, <laughs> well,
3: I, I look. I can't thank you enough for. Being on here and connecting with me, and and being able to share your story with our audience. I mean, like I told you, kid in me uh, grew up loving the gladiators, but as I told some of the other ones, yeah, uh, the man in me has grown up to really appreciate the people behind those personas and everything y'all have been willing to share with audiences out there. Because you never know, like you said, just you telling your story about your father. How much that distributes out and impacts stories you'll never hear about. There are fathers and sons who've restored a relationship because of something you shared either on a podcast or a documentary, and they're never gonna know. Um, but it's incredible to think the impact that y'all are having out there by by sharing these. And uh I can't thank
2: you enough, folks. I can't yeah, and I can't thank you enough, Trip. I really appreciate it. You're awesome and and thank you for serving our country and and uh uh deeply appreciate that. Uh Definitely. So I want to say thank you for reaching out. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, a lot of the questions. Uh, the questions were unique in and of itself. A lot of those questions no one's ever asked me. So thank you. I appreciate I that it. as
3: a win. I take that yeah, as that's a win, win
2: boy. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it.
3: Appreciate you, folks. If you like what we're doing, head over to the shadowspodcast.com Spotify, Apple. Please leave us a review. Let us know what you think. And until next week, we'll see you with another episode the Shadows Podcast.
1: Thanks, trip.